Nicotine is in fact an addictive substance and so is The Sopranos. We are back for season four, episode four, The Berserk Button. I didn't say nothing. That's a quote from Carmine Lupertazzi in this season four, episode four of The Sopranos entitled The Weight. It is written by Terrence Winter and directed by Jack Bender. What an episode and certainly a stark difference coming off of Christopher, I would say. Is this not the exact opposite of Christopher in every conceivable way as far as its general structure in the whole season and its tension that builds as the episode goes. Yeah. Got a lot happening here. Obviously the Ralph Cifaretto joke has gotten back to Johnny and that's going to completely blow up the New York business. And we have an interesting subplot going on here with Elliot and Melfi addressing some of her issues from season three and a couple other things going on, but this is a, a, a episode is mostly going to focus on the action around Ralph and Johnny. We're going to break it down. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we're here for the wait. Initial reactions, guys. Season four, off to an interesting start. There's definitely a new vibe happening. It's a little little different than the last couple seasons, in my estimation. But this felt like a real tension builder. And I really enjoyed it. I think this might be, as far as watchability and enjoyability, my favorite one of four so far. Oh, I agree. I was actually, I, I wrote down in my notes while I was watching the episode, um, I was actually surprised, or rather my initial thought is that I was surprised that an episode that is this funny <laughs> could also be this intense. It is a really, um, it's a really keyed up episode. They do a really good job with building tension and holding tension. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a writing masterclass, this script. And what makes it more impressive is that despite the tension, it has a lightness and it is it's really, really funny. And then I usually or rather, we usually go into episode titles like by the end of our episode. But um, so this thing, the berserk button is a, mm -hmm. a TV trope. Um, berserk button would be like um, a character is otherwise normal, except when this one thing is mentioned. Right. And then they someone has pushed their berserk button. A classic example for me would be like when Marty McFly gets called a chicken. Right. He's an mm -hmm. otherwise reasonable character until someone calls him chicken. Johnny Sack is like one of the most like likable, reasonable gangsters unless someone makes fun of his wife, specifically his wife's weight. And yeah. uh, it, it's just you're wondering this whole time. Where is this leading to this thing that Paulie leaked to Johnny Sack? And here it is. And it's both really, really funny and explosively dangerous. Yes. Yes, that's that's well said. I love this episode as too. I, I think it's what you guys said, that it's it's very powerful, it's intense, but it's funny as well. And coming off of Christopher, the last episode, there were some similar themes where characters that are normally a bit more grounded get sentimental about something. But here it's so much more rich in terms of the actual characters, particularly Johnny Sack. And it's such a joy to see Vincent Curatola do this work. He's so great mm. and indeed is dangerous, but also very funny at times. It also is much more dangerous than Christopher was because we see the tension build and build. And both Ralphie and Johnny Sack don't seem to know how close they both come to getting it. It's all very well done. I also like, I love that concept of the berserk button. I hadn't thought of it that way. It'll be very useful here. And isn't it interesting? It won't be lost on our listeners 
that this episode is called The Weight, but in many cases you could substitute the word weight for burden, mm. right? A burden, be, it could literally be a physical burden, it could be an emotional burden, it could be a financial burden that people sometimes struggle under, sometimes voluntarily take it on, sometimes cleverly pawn it off. I'm thinking of Carmine who asks for a murder to be committed by not saying anything. That that brings it back to what Jordan said, a writing masterclass. Can't say enough nice things about it. We'll come back to why I chose the Carmine quote for our pull quote. It took all the inner resource I have to not choose Johnny Sack yelling in his wife's face, nicotine's an addictive substance. <laughs> Such a funny episode in so many ways. I love it. Uh, so yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. One thing I like about this is because at this point now where I'm kind of getting a finger on the pulse of season four's pattern because something is a little bit different the way these episodes are constructed than in previous seasons. The episodes were a little more, not all of them, but a little more in seasons one and three self-reliant. And that holds true generally for one or two of the storylines per episode. But at this point now, by the fourth episode, we've established that there's going to be some kind of something happening on the domestic front with Tony and Carmela. And at this point, this isn't a spoiler after this episode, there's something serious now brewing between Carmela and Furio, right? So we right. We're, we're building a love triangle here. And this feels like a common thread that's going to be lingering as a continuation. It feels more serialized perhaps than other seasons whereas we'll get a carmela sure. episode we'll check in with carmela in season two it would have been we're going to check in with carmela and follow her for this hour more than usual but this season it's like we're touching down on this every episode it's an unusual format yeah interesting so i have a question because i'm uh season four is one of the seasons that i've uh almost seen no episodes so these are fresh for me yeah um my question then being based on what you just said and i i know we are a spoiler free podcast um are there no more a la carte episodes coming up? Like, are there no more one-offs like a Pine Barrens or a college that are totally self-contained? They don't do that anymore. Again, without spoilers, I wouldn't say no more. Those still pop up. Okay. But the show, in my opinion, this is just an opinion. So someone out there is going to disagree with me or send a thing to our Instagram telling me why I'm wrong. But my opinion is that the show generally gets a little less susceptible. If I had sat down with someone who had never seen the Sopranos before and just showed them a picked a random episode out of season two, they're more likely to follow it. I think that's less the case in the back half of the show. That's not to okay. say there aren't individual episodes that, that, that follow that college or that pine barrens formula where it's almost entirely self-contained. Right. But, the show show in a bottle type thing. Right. right? But yeah. the show itself, I think, is a bit more serialized. If I had to put my finger on one particular change to the format, it's that. It's that the episodes rely a little bit more on each other in seasons four, five, and six than in previous seasons. Again, I wonder if that's a. I wonder if that's a natural evolution, or is that like a writer's room? They made a decision. Like, did David Chase sit down with the writers and was like, "Hey guys, I want the story spread out over more episodes." I want. I. I mean, I don't even know how we would know something like that, but that's an interesting observation. There's no way to know. There's only what we can theorize. My theory on that, just based on what I know of David Chase and the writers, is they're only going to. They're not going to make a conscious decision like, "Hey, let's just change the format." They want to serve whatever story they're telling the best way possible. And my my 
estimation of this is that Chase and company decided that the best way to tell the story they want to tell in season four is to do it this way. And I want to circle back on this after we do the finale, because I have a good reason why they did that. And we'll talk about that when we get to the season four finale. So I have more thoughts on this, but let's put a pin in that. Just sure. Su- yeah. Suffice- I, was, I was curious. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Suffice to say, I've noticed the format change a little bit in season four. And I think that's why this season feels a little bit different to some people is because there is something different going on structurally here. Okay. Yeah. But that said, let's break this episode down. This yep. one's going to work best from the top. We come in on Little Italy. I've been on this stretch of street very many times. I've eaten meals at Benito One. It's a good restaurant. <laughs> I believe that's at least next to or at where this happens. Johnny Sack is talking with Joey Peeps. That's the character he's interacting with here. And excuse me. Joey is something of a person or younger gangster that Johnny's mentoring or chatting with here. And he spots Donnie K down the bar. Donnie K, not a huge character. He's in uh, the April crew. Ralphie took over the crew. We don't know much about this Donnie K character, but Peeps asks, who's that? Nobody. Jersey, Ralph's crew. And they're making eyes. This guy Donnie's laughing about something. And what's cool about Johnny Sack as a character thus far is they've established him as a, as a level-headed pragmatist. He tried to mediate the situation with Tony and Ralph. He only really popped up one, two, maybe three times a season up till now. But we got a sense that this guy's a level-headed underboss. He's on top for a reason. He's kind of on par with Tony intellectually. So great, Johnny Sack. So this feels out of character and shocking what happens next when Johnny follows this guy, Donnie, out of the bar and beats the shit out of him. And then pisses on him, <laughs> most humiliating fashion. Definitely a memorable scene. And so much so that anytime I walk past that lot in Mulberry Street, I think, oh, this is where Johnny Sack pissed on Donnie Kay. <laughs> <laughs> they should put a little gold plaque in the street. <laughs> <laughs> like the unknown soldier, but just Donnie Kay getting peed right. on by Johnny Sack. Right. There you go. So any thoughts on this opening and how we're kicking things off here? Definitely letting us know that Johnny is on the warpath. Yes, uh, great opening. I believe this is the first time I've seen Joey Peep, certainly heard him talk on the show. And Joey briefly mentions in this conversation with Johnny at the top uh, about how Ginny used to teach dancing, mm. which brings it into mind and uh, probably brings Johnny back to when you know she used to be some hoof. She used to be really uh, skinnier and all that. And uh, it's setting off that berserk button that we mentioned. And it, it leads to this clearly misdirected anger um, that is out of place for Johnny and them hitting on the guy. Talk about relieving a burden. And uh, yeah, that's the it's the setup. It's it, it's it's great. It's really well done. It's it's oddly funny, bleakly in its own way, but it's pretty grim. Yeah, yeah. It, it is grim. It's it's upsetting. <laughs> um, it's um, but that's kind of the. Uh, am I out of line? That's kind of the flavor this season, and even from the back half of last season. Like you talk about a format shift. Um, there's been like a feelings shift on this show that is hard for me to articulate. I need to see more of this season to comment further on that. So you might get a later later episode thesis from me. As a as a newer viewer, but it's like 
the show has gotten dark. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like in a, look, the show was always dark. The show was always about gangsters and killing people and doing horrible shit. But like, I don't know, something like flips like mid season three to like now where I'm just like, yeah. And the most level headed character uh, beat up some innocent guy and peed on him. Yeah. And this is a normal <laughs> show opener. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And you just kind of go along with it. But it's like you couldn't have thrown that shit at me in season one. <laughs> Right. It kind of makes me want to go to the basement and uh, gorge on candy bars <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or go outside and smoke a cigarette because of the world and our culture. I think there's something there. There is something. And as Jordan said, the show's always been dark, but I think there is a shift and I think it's conscious. Yeah. For sure. is It's definitely a growth in the cynicism of the outlook of the show. That's for sure. It's always been dark, but yeah, we'll talk more about that as it elicits itself. There's definitely a great conversation to be had there. Next scene, Ginny is weighing herself. And so we're seeing that this is something she's, her weight is something she's conscious of and and dealing with and struggling with and trying to change. So we know that she's a heavier woman. We've seen her before, but this is an insight into the fact that, okay, this is an ongoing thing at home, which is why it also is rubbing Johnny the wrong way. Then the scene with Carm's cousin, Brian Camerata, new character, Carm's cousin, Brian. As far as I'm concerned, he's speaking gibberish here because it's all these, <laughs> it's all this financial shit. Yeah, I and have no idea. And here's what's interesting about this too. Tony says later in the episode that the stuff is quote boring to him. And what's interesting here is it is boring. I find uh, maybe there's some people out there that like this kind of stuff. I find this shit boring too, especially for a television drama to cover living trusts and stock portfolios in, in, in such a way. And the showrunners know that the point is that it's also boring to Tony. And so while I am right with Tony, I would be the, I would be sitting there eating cake, cracking jokes, busting Brian's balls. I'd be all about that behavior. If it were my house, we're also meant to feel bad for Carmela because, yeah, it is, it's tedious financial talk, but it's also very clearly something that means a lot to her. She sees her future. She sees security in this, and she wants Tony to care more than he's caring, and he doesn't have it in him. Yeah. So they're talking about that. Tony, the gist of the scene as far as the where the story goes is – Tony wants to hold off, get a second opinion from Ginsburg, his accountant. So that's where we leave off there. We're going to come back to that. Hey, Chris, could I say something very briefly about the scene before? Sure. Uh, when Johnny comes home, Ginny's weighing herself and he says, what were you doing up? And she says, uh, Penny Serenade was on, which is an old George Stevens movie from the 40s about a marriage in crisis, in fact. and. Mm we're going to deal with two marriages and the difficulties therein. Uh, at the end of the episode, Johnny Sack also admonishes his wife for lying to him. He lies to her in this scene where he comes home ostensibly to, to protect her, but that's all over this episode, the hypocrisy of the characters in different forms. And then in the scene with Brian, when Tony is cracking jokes and eating cake, isn't it interesting that Tony's comfort are these sweets? Mm because we're dealing with all these weight issues and there's a lot of comfort food in this episode. There's McDonald's yeah. and Krispy Kreme all over the place. I don't think it's an accident. No, of course oh, not. Oh yeah, for sure. 
And it's eaten so mindlessly too that there are that Ginny is putting so much time and effort into this that people are joking about her. And yet Tony walks in stuffing donuts, looking for milk. Silvio's eating McDonald's. The only time we see fast food in the show, of course, on this episode. You're absolutely right, Paul. Of course, that's not by accident. Good observation. Tony gets a call at home. And I love this. What happened? He's just so shocked by the fact that he's like, wait, who (laughs) can you imagine getting this call if you're Tony? Like Johnny K? What? It's the most random thing ever. Johnny Sack, the underboss of a New York family, beat up an unmade member of Ralph's crew. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And that's a weird phone call. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he races over to uh, wherever Johnny is headquartered at the moment and has this conversation. What the fuck, John? And John is non-apologetic. I thought he worked for Ralph. Yeah. And Ralph works for me. So again, I say, what the fuck? John comes up with this thing that is possibly a legitimate beef. Ralph, maybe, skimming money off the construction side this fucking ralph's more creative than spielberg is the line johnny uses but this is a misdirection this is a blanket for what's really going on and tony eventually digs deeper once johnny gives the line cute cocksuckers millions of dollars this day cute cocksucker could wind up dead i underline the word cute because that's a way that jordan you've described ralph so i think it's hilarious that another character described him in that way and Dead over skimming on the job site. Tony's like, all right, what the fuck's going on here? And Johnny iterates the joke to Tony. Yeah. I, I do like that um, Johnny Sack does uh, attempt the misdirection because it reveals to us that the character at some level maybe knows he's overreacting or even more interesting that he is ashamed or shares his wife's shame or that he's so sensitive about this issue he can't even discuss it uh, up front, he has to put up these screens first. Yeah. Right. It has to be like, well, uh, they were skimming. Well, it's Ralph, and you know how he is. And then finally, it's, you know, he made a joke about my wife, you know, but it takes him like a couple levels down to get there. It's really interesting. It's w- mm-hmm. well written. Yeah. Tony's reaction to when he finds out that Johnny had heard the joke. Well, that's deplorable. (laughs) (laughs) Tony himself, as we know, has made jokes about Ginny's weight directly and involved in that on multiple occasions. And also, you can just see so much on Gandolfini's face there. He's processing how he needs to react to John. He's trying to hide the shock that somehow John found out about this and trying to figure out who could have told him. There's just so much going on in that three seconds there. Gandolfini's such a master at stuff like that. Yes. The hypocrisy is dizzying. Uh, Not just from Tony, but of course from everybody involved. As we, the audience, know it was in fact Polly from the lockup in Ohio, I believe, who told Johnny about this. Uh, Point of Sopranos trivia, Polly Walnuts is the first person on the Sopranos to tell a Ginny Sack fat joke. (laughs) Employee of the month. Uh, When the Sacks moved to New Jersey, there's that plot thread. They're joking about Ginny Sack being heavyset. And yeah. Polly's the first one to do a joke. Um, so this is all pretty stunning. I, I agree with you guys. Again, the writing's so great here. Uh, having to get down these levels, as Jordan mentioned, uh, because Johnny Sack maybe gets something about this that he's overreacting or sharing in his wife's shame. And Johnny Sack will say later on, I'm talking about my wife's honor here, my honor. 
So he, it, this does reflect on him. I think he feels humiliated. Guys laughing at his wife means they're laughing at him behind his back. And he'll also, in justifying it, this weird idiotic action where he beat up this kid, <clears throat> he will also use the language of relieving burden. Um, it's just been sticking in my craw. So, you know, I had to let out my frustration by beating the shit out of this kid. It's so weird. Um, but uh, again, it's very funny as well as dangerous. So uh, yeah. it's another great scene. As And as you mentioned, Chris, between two superb actors doing great work. Yeah, yeah. It's also touching. I love, in a sick way, <laughs> how defensive Johnny is for Jenny and how sure. he really loves her. He really does love this woman deeply. And he's willing to let this project, this multi-million dollar Esplanade project go to shit if it needs to because of this. Some of it's about ego, some of it's his own hypocrisy, but also it's he does have a genuine love for this woman and, and hates and, and talks about it here that she's been working hard and all the dieting programs. And Tony says, you're telling me how hard it is. I love Johnny's line. Well, it's different for women, body image, self-esteem. She works very fucking hard. Mm -hmm. It's, it's touching <clears throat> in a way to see him. It is talk about her hard work on that front. Cause hard work is not something these guys know a lot about. And so for him to recognize it is sweet. It, it is. And she's a sweetheart. And, yes. and by the end, we'll feel for her too. So, yeah. I, I did wonder uh, uh, listen, we, we could all agree, everyone would agree Johnny Sack is overreacting and he needs to see reason. And there, are, there is a, a reasonable proportion to all of this that he's not respecting. But, um, you know, his complaint is legitimate. It's just not to the degree that he is. Uh, feeling it or or perhaps uh, requiring others to feel it for him. I mean, I thought about this. Would Tony stand someone else insulting Carmela? Probably not. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, uh, we haven't really had this situation is the problem. So I don't right. know how these other guys would respond, but I, I don't My think Tony would take kindly to anyone making a joke at Carmela's expense. Not at he all. probably wouldn't kill that person, but I think you would be beaten within an inch of your life. I really think Johnny Sack is maybe not as unreasonable as we think, though, of course, the episode revolves on his overblown lack of reason. But uh, there is something about it that is still legitimate. So he's not a total buffoon. Right. Very well said. It's also... It, that's a really good point, Jordan. It's also not an accident that in this episode, in fact, the very next beat that we're going to deal with is Furio coming over the house. What Furio's doing in these scenes, in part, is just paying attention to Carmela. He actually gives a shit about what she has to say about her interest and knowledge of real estate law that sort of thing. So, and as Johnny Sack will say to Ginny, don't I look at you like that? That's part, that's part of Carmela's complaint that she's essentially being ignored. It makes her feel unloved. So I think that's another component of how it is touching in a way that Johnny is so defensive of Ginny, that he still loves her. He still cares for her. And he's still like, I don't know, in love, you know, that's what Carmela wants. To be to be loved and respected and cared for, 
Well said, guys. I love that. In the end, though, it seems like this might have a chance at being smoothed over. Tony says, hear Ralph out. Johnny says, you're right. My fucking temper. Asks if the guy he beat up, Donny K, is married. No, he lives with his mother. Eh, I'll send her something nice. That's how these guys operate, man. Do something terrible. Send some flowers. It's the, it's the, <laughs> it's the whole thing. She'd probably rather her son not be beaten within an inch of his life and pissed on. But in the meantime, here's here's some chocolates. (laughs) These looks between Carmela and Furio, not good. Not good. Not good for anybody. Maybe feels nice in the moment. But and this also, to me, if it wasn't apparent in the last episode or two, kind of hinted at this scene to me solidifies that this is a mutual interest now this is not just carmela having a yes. crush on the handsome guy with the you know the handsome six foot italian guy with the ponytail it's he's given her looks too and she's looking away he's checking her out his eyes kind of dart down her body for a half a second there when he's having his coffee she's getting him his sugar and his eyes just kind of glance down like oop oop something's happening here and who directed this episode? Is it Jack Bender? Jack Bender. He did a terrific job here. This scene, particularly with this dialogue, it's kind of um, it's kind of dry, yeah. right? Talking about the law with the garage and that sort of thing. Carmela breaks out the book, but the way that he shoots the scene is very tight. It yeah. seems almost like there's not enough space for them, and that's where you get. That and so, Chris, as you mentioned, these glances come in, and the sexual tension is palpable. It's brief, but as you said, you feel it, and I think we get immediately that something's going on here, and it is mutual. Yeah. Furio wants to build a in-law apartment out of his garage, can't because of a zoning variance. That's the subject matter we're dealing here. But the fact that we remember this scene because of the way it was shot and the way it was acted speaks a lot to the of the skill. The people involved because on paper this is a scene about a real estate structure zoning variance i get enough of that shit in my local city council meetings i don't need <laughs> uh you know i don't need it on my tv but they all do a great job <laughs> with it is the point and there's a lot going on underneath the dialogue a lot going on quick cut here meadow back at college i don't believe we checked back in on meadow since she went back to columbia for her, her second year after the no-show episode but she's exploring some options. We meet this woman who will later find out is Sasuke, Elliot's daughter, selling her on the South Bronx Law Center, working there, maybe some kind of internship program. Meadow's interested. We'll come back to that. More mm-hmm. to say in a moment. Back of the Bing. I like this scene. This is a very like, they're all just chilling. Silvio's eating McDonald's. Chris is shooting pool. Who's talking? Who's who, who, who the fuck is doing this? How does John know about this? They're theorizing. I always like these scenes where characters are trying to figure something out that the audience knows. It always creates for great <laughs> right. humor and it's, irony. It's like an episode of Blues Clues where you, the audience, are like shouting, it's Polly. Why is it the only character you haven't mentioned? <laughs> yeah. And they, of course, they would forget about Polly because he's out of the picture. He's, he's right, of course. So it, it makes sense. It's just so funny. It's 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 great, but I love this little dialogue. Uh, I love the idea that 
Chris proposes, maybe the feds bug the place and they're telling John. And I love Tony's response. First of all, if the feds want, there's more interesting shit being talked about in there besides Ginny Sachs fat ass. <laughs> Chris, conspiracy theories now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Yeah, it is a good scene. I, I thought at the end, just for a moment, when Tony seems to have this look where he's thinking to himself, is he possibly putting together the blues clues and thinking for a moment that it's <laughs> that it is indeed Polly for a couple of reasons what like they somebody I think Silvio floats Patsy maybe he's holding a grudge yeah. and Chris says, and Tony says you really think he's that cagey Tony th- says I don't know if it's possible that it's Silvio and what is it what is it Chris Chris isn't that cagey either by the way Chris's best idea in this scene is to steal Silvio's french fries um chris does not have that kind of investigative or sneaky mind i don't think so i don't know can i say that i love that moment chris stealing the french fries because it's just one of those little things of realism of course somebody is eating mcdonald's in front of you and they step out of the room it's like oh yeah i'm gonna grab some fries please and thank you (laughs) yeah man waste no time yeah Yeah. I, i i'll tell you guys you you two are Two of my best friends in the world. I would do that to you in a heartbeat. I don't care. Oh, yes. I would I'll, steal both your fries. I will eat your fries. <laughs> yep. I love you guys, too. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the law. It's the law. You know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Lewis, a uh, friend of the show and friend of mine, has this had this thing at a recent trip I was on. He was around and he... Uh, I just I caught him twice taking a, a sip of one of my drinks just because he's a bartender. He's into that. And he'll just like take a sip of my drink and tried to tell my wife not to tell me about it. Just like, <laughs> dude, first of all, ask. Second of all, what the fuck? It's one thing you take a sip. Somebody offers it to you or even after they've had the first sip. But he wanted to take the, he was instituting prima nocta on my cocktail prima prima cocktail yeah 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 <laughs> anyway enough of that i'll that's another story for another day uh anyway <laughs> silvio steps out i like the uh, tony floats what do you think silvio talking to johnny so chris hey you know lot, great great insight here you never know t but i think we i would rule out silvio that's just my personal opinion. Cut to Elliot Kupferberg. Oh, uh, poor, poor Peter Bogdanovich, who we still miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing a nice job here. She's having issues. Jason is regressing. Her son, Jason, that we are not fans of on this show, is uh, thankfully, though, he's being more annoying off camera. So we Correct, yes. Jason uh, sucks, but we don't have to deal with him. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about going into the forestry service. Elliot has this wild line about some people thrive in solitude. or What, what is it, Paul? <laughs> That's right. Well, that some people thrive on solitude yeah it's so good the yeah it did make me miss uh bogdanovich the way he executes lines like that yeah i I, this is not something i thought we would say ever when we were introduced to elliot kupferberg who is like a one or two scene per episode this is a fun elliot episode yes (laughs) get a lot more elliot than normal this week and so yeah they mentioned his daughter sasuke we have a name in the previous scene we have a face the next time we see them we're going to connect the two of them. So Sasuke doesn't have all these problems and Jason's having issues. We're going to come back to that. And it's a, this is a very 
I almost hesitate to call it a C plot because they just barely touched down on this. And it also doesn't connect to much in the main narrative. Right. It's just a feature. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says uh, at one point, Sasuke has always been highly motivated. Kenahora. Kenahora is a Yiddish term that essentially means no evil eye, by the way. Mm. So that'll, that brings us back to superstition and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So does that basically mean knock on wood? Is that the idea? I think so. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm. I didn't know that, Paul. Thank you. Ralph is back from Miami, looking great. I love that pink jacket, white. He's got his uh, fucking Ralph <laughs> right out of Miami Beach. He he knows how to do it. He's great. This scene is so funny. I love that he he he's so he's fresh off the breakup with Janice, and yes. there's got to be a part of his head thinking, "Oh God, what if she tries to tell everybody about?" <laughs> what we were doing let me get ahead of this you know what that crazy bitch was into and (laughs) uh so they get the fuck out of here and again ralph with the close calls with the jokes whole family's nuts door opens it's tony hey (laughs) so funny he was seconds away from another stupid joke getting him in trouble Mm -hmm. tony dismisses Vito and eugene gets alone with ralph they're assessing this. What the fuck? I don't even, Ralph says, I don't even remember saying it. Bullshit, but okay. Then Ralph gets indignant. Anytime Ralph is, Ralph's humor is challenged or his status is challenged, he just gets like, come on. Who does he, th- who does he think's keeping that quote, fat bitch and devil dogs anyway? So he's not sorry. No, yeah, he's, he's, uh, Ralph is just so hilariously awful. I mean, he's come back from having a wonderful vacation. I don't know, whatever, Miami, which is where he was presumably in the show's first two seasons. Yeah. Um, and he comes back tan, looking good, and just doesn't give a fuck about any of the chaos he has wrought. You know, just like nothing, nothing matters to him. It's, yeah. it's, it's so horrible and weirdly charming. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just asking about Donnie Kay. He wasn't at all. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's so funny. It's so flippant. I love the the blatant hypocrisy. Um, it, do, it did underline for me, though, that he is better at playing this game than other figures who have been here in this space in the past. Yes. Particularly Richie April. Yeah. So They're also very smart on the show to know who their audience is and it is a widely accepted thing out there in the cinema sphere the blogosphere of the internet uh, about mob movies that the orange is a symbol of death and chaos impending doom in the godfather Mm. movies yes Mm. Uh, in fact even in season one tony is very similar fashion to don corleone buying orange juice at a newsstand when don corleone is shot in the Godfather, he's buying oranges from a newsstand, and Tony is attempted assassination. Assassination attempt occurs while Tony's buying oranges from a newsstand. So they know what they're doing here. Ralph with this big thing of oranges. To the viewer watching this for the first time, familiar with the symbology there, this is a big uh oh. This is gonna. This is not gonna go well. Yeah. And Tony gives him the correct advice. It's your word against his. If you apologize, you make it worse. You're highly fucking outraged. Hands him the phone. It's this scene is like watching Hamlet. It's <laughs> it's it's you just know it's going to devolve into chaos and tragedy. Right. 
this is Claudius, Claudius and Polonius hiding behind the curtain, putting out Ophelia as bait and (laughs) seeing what happens. You just know it's not going to go well, but you have to go through the exercise, right? And Ralphie calls and there is a moment where this could all actually end up maybe okay for the time being. And Ralphie blows it and Tony watches him blow it in real time. I love this conversation. Ralph, tell me who said this. I'm, I, I hope it, uh, I, I love Ginny. I'd never talked to her about that. Ralph, uh, Johnny doing a good job, not betraying confidences. I don't betray confidences, Ralphie denying you said it. Ralphie getting frustrated. Just tell me who said it. I'll put a bullet in their fucking eye. He's upset that this got out. Johnny is reading that. I don't believe you. Ginny making a fruit salad in the background of all this. Johnny giving her a sweet smile and a wink before walking out of earshot. And Ralphie does the best he's going to do at this point. He says, Johnny, when I went through that thing last year with Tony, you were the voice of reason. You were the one who told me to apologize. And Tony is there waving him when the concept of an apology (laughs) comes out. And Ralphie says, you know, if that's what it takes, you apologize. And if that's what it takes, negative, that's it. (laughs) And Johnny, who might've been willing to listen and let this go under a different path is instantly, you know what? You're a lot. You're not only a thief, you're a liar. And I should have let Tony chop your head off a year ago. Hang up. What did I say? No apologies. (sighs) Great scene. I, I, I'd love this scene. It's, ratchets up the tension to a 10 or to an eight at least we're going to get to a 10 yeah maybe it kind of perfectly encapsulates what we're talking about here as annoying as ralph is tony has to protect him yeah right that's Mm -hmm. the code so and normally at the point in the episode where you have a scene about one story and you cut to one of the other stories going on just in case you thought that Johnny was going to mull this around or sit on this for a little bit or be passive aggressive for an episode or two. Nope. Very next scene. First line. I want you to sanction a hit on Ralph Cifaretto. Oh, okay. Carmine sitting there drinking his coffee. Maybe there's a little buka in there. Who knows? He's relaxing in the back of this very famous bar down on Mulberry street, by the way, this is a real bar. This is not a set. That's why it looks so authentic. And Carmine, he's such a boss this entire episode, man. This is an old school mafia. Carmine don. rules. Carmine yeah, really he? rules. He does. He rules. Yeah. This is an old school mob don. Yeah. Man. This guy I, lo- is... I love him. I love yeah. the way he's played. I, I haven't really liked the character until this episode. He rules. He totally yeah. rules. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of kept looking at him before this and I was like, this is one of the bosses of New York. And now I'm like, yeah, he totally is. Yep. Yeah. It's great. Uh, he's sitting there wants to know what was said johnny's like my words not good enough garman's like not if you want them clipped over it yeah and he just totally knows sells it i love that johnny not only has to ha- go through the indignity of repeating it but then exp- has to explain the joke to carmine because he just gives no reaction like, yeah that is it's truly funny <laughs> truly funny the implication being that her ass is big enough she could have a mole that size removed from it <laughs> right. How about the first beat when he doesn't get what he's talking about? Ralph slip with Ginny? That line kills me. <laughs> Chris, he wants to fuck her. That's, yeah, again, another great line. This this scene is just filled with great lines. It was an awful remark. You want me, you want me to, I'll demand these texts. I'll, I'll crack them good. 200K. And Johnny gives this line, 200,000 for insulting my wife. What's next, Carmine? You get the fucker for a million? <laughs> 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 he wants to fuck her 
I'm making a point. <laughs> oh so my good. God. So good. Johnny being legitimately angry and frustrated here. And who knows, maybe in the La Cosa Nostra of old, Johnny would have been given the immediate A-OK. But this is not the La Cosa Nostra of old. We are not in the golden age of the mob. This is not the 1960s. And there aren't really many candidates in the Jersey family to head the Esplanade project. And money is tight. That's been made abundantly clear in these first few episodes. Carmine can't fuck around on this. And unfortunately, John, yeah, it is about the money. And so there's millions of dollars at stake. So Johnny does what his only tact at this point. Fine. I want to sit down about the theft, which I think is total bullshit. He wants to do exactly what he's going to do in the next scene when we have the sit down, which is make a whole song and dance about it and demonstrate how pissed off and unresolvable this is. And... There it is. But this is a great scene between these two actors. And it's cool because we get so much about who these guys are and their dynamic as head of the New York family in just one scene. It's so good. Tony shows up with donuts, Krispy Kreme. Meadow is talking with a girl in her dorm room. Who's? Did they make it clear? Is this girl actually, is this girl connected to her through the South, her South work at the South Bronx Law Center? Is this a friend of Meadows? I wasn't clear about that. Uh, it, it seems to be someone who is new in Meadows' life. At least that's the mm. read I got on the scene. So it might be connected to Meadows' new interests, let's mm. say, sure, in, sure. in pursuing law. I did yeah. not get that this was a friend that she already had, though I could have missed that. Yeah. And of course, Tony mispronounces her name, Rahuni. Is she your first client? <laughs> can't, yeah. can't not be racist for a second. And sits down and... This is an interesting scene because in a weird way, as far as social and visual cues, this is the best Tony and Meadow have been in a little while. They're yes. smiling, they're chatting, they're going to hang out. Tony's in the city for a bit for this sit down, presumably with Carmine later. And we just got some donuts looking for a glass of milk to dunk these in. It's a cute way to visit your daughter, I think. And then... They're arguing, but I think the in a weird way, the no-show episode was a release for both of them. And Meadow has once again decided to accept her life, but maybe some things are going to turn in a different direction. Tony wants her to be a doctor. What happened to that? And Meadow is not fighting with him, getting defensive like she might have a year or so ago. She's just calmly explaining what she's doing and Tony gives her the old warning. I'm sure we all have older Italian men in our families that would have said something very similar to what Tony says here, which is, let's be careful. A lot of these indigenous types, they got money to smoke crack and gamble. Meadow cracks back. You ought to know. But while this is the same kind of back and forth they've had before, there's something lighter about it. There's an acceptance between them, sort of an understanding now that Oh, this is who we are. We're not going to agree. Let's go eat donuts and go to the bookstore right. and get a sweatshirt. It's oddly, yeah. I don't know. It's, they, it's, yeah. Yeah, they've moved past that emotional obstacle for the time being. That's not to say other things won't tie them up, but now there is this um, more overt display of love and affection. Things seem to have normalized there. And that is very reminiscent of, you know, life. I, I mean, you know, there there was too much love there in that relationship for it to remain kind of statically difficult for forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's she's gotten past whatever that hurdle is for now. And what's there in place of it is, is love. I mean, I, I like that that 
that relationship is so complex that it's not just going to be one color forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Meadow uh, and Tony tend to come back to center pretty quickly. I also think that it's good that Meadow doesn't really respond to whatever issues Tony has that are kind of resentful so it doesn't escalate. Um, he says, you're doing this to get back at me for being mean to Noah, which I didn't think was really a thing. I don't think she's thinking about Noah anymore. No. Um, I think when she says you ought to know, it's about what Tony knows about vice industry. Right. Like gambling and crack. Um, and she says to him, I almost picked this as the pull quote. Listen to you. Believe it or not, the world doesn't revolve around you. We don't need to argue about every little thing in terms of how it reflects on you. So let's go get a sweater. Um, <laughs> it is it is sweet. Um, and I do, I do like how it comes back to center for them fairly quickly. And I think Jordan's right. It's, it's like life in a lot of ways. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's never just one color, certainly not with these two. Sure. Isn't also the most realistic thing about family that like you can have like the nastiest wall smashing, blood curdling fight ever. And then that night or the next day be like, oh, does anybody want bagels? Well, you want vegetable cream cheese? Okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll be home for dinner. You see it a lot in siblings. I don't know about you guys, but uh, oh, my, sure. yeah. I, my, my, my brother and I, when I was growing up, had physical fights. And then the next day we'd be playing G.I. Joe's in our pajamas. Right. It's, yeah. It's what happens. Yeah. yeah. You can have a fight with your father where like the, 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 the culmination of the fight is like, I'll fucking kill you, you animal. My God. <laughs> You know, and the next day being like, oh, yeah, I'll pick you up. We'll go to Home Depot. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That's just how that's just it's uh, that's yeah. family. Yep. Amen. Interesting scene here because we're seeing two worlds collide that we don't normally see collide. Elliot in the garage with Tony. Very simple premise. Elliot's crowding him a bit. A little too anxious. We find out later he's been driving around for 20 minutes trying to park in New York City, Columbia. Okay. So understandable that he's a little impatient but he crowds tony tony has to go oh take it easy and uh so that happens a little bit of a clash there we're going to find out more about that in a moment cut to the sit down and exactly what johnny wanted to happen happens they're waiting for carmine to get out of the bathroom they're chit-chatting johnny's giving him the silent treatment carmine comes out Ralph, all right, so I looked into this. Turns out you're right. There's been a problem here, some kind of issue with the accounting, and he's going to take care of it. But before they could get into specifics, Johnny just makes a big opera out of it. Excuse me. I can't be in the same room with this man. Ralphie gets up there. Fuck you. It gets a little heated, escalated, and he refuses to do business with Ralph and walks out. Yep. And you see Carmine kind of throwing his hands up sort of in an apology, just like, I, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Maybe this is where it really breaks in terms of how the guys have been somewhat lenient. Okay. It's Johnny. It is his wife. Let's, let's hear him out on X, Y, Z. And now when they're actually trying to get into this and it seems Ralph was being congenial and, open to solving xyz business problem and johnny sack is as chris said throwing up his hands and doing this big operatic thing now this is this is getting out of hand and affecting the bottom line yeah of course it's about the money what are you what else are you a thief for right then we see sasuke and elliot walking on the columbia campus and we connect the dots of who this person that meadow was talking to earlier is so there's a little bit of 
what do you call that? Weaving in it, there's two things, serendipity, I guess. Maybe that's not quite the exact right word, but these worlds are colliding and they are unaware of it, right? And right. Mm-hmm. they're chit-chatting. I thought I was watching uh, Magnolia again, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short little scene, but Elliot's asking about Jason, Melfi's son, who we know, and... It's interesting to see Elliot exploring this issue going on with Melfi and her son outside, just trying to get more information. Sasuke gives us a little insight. Jason, he's a stereotypical psychiatrist kid. Just when things get rough, he knows just what to say to get attention. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting line, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What does it say about the mob bosses, kid, I wonder? Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Carmela is consolidating bills, which elicits <laughs> an audible sigh from Tony <laughs> as he sits down. More cake. And Carmela is upset by that. Tony just comes out with it. Look, it's boring to me, okay? And that really hurts Carmela. You can see it visibly hurts her. She's she's fighting back tears when she gives these next lines, and it's really rough to see. The comfort he offers is what? You're going to cry now? Hey, you're going to cry? Yeah. Which, folks, I got to tell you, that's never a good line to say to someone who is on the verge of crying. <laughs> not, a, not a good line. No. Not a good it, line. It got Richie April shot in the chest, so who knows what it's going to get in. <laughs> what? Yeah, you're right. And Carmela lays it out. When you trivialize things that are important to me, like this family's financial security, it makes me feel unloved. And Tony fires back. That's your problem right there. You equate love with money. You equate love with money. I think they're both right, but both in the wrong. <laughs> they're but, both right. She's more right. She she actually yeah. like she's not hiding a thing. This yeah. is exactly what the situation is. Right. Yeah. At least she's admitting it. And also, it's not just about love with money. Yes, Carmela has been willing to look the other way on a lot of Tony's behaviors when he brings home the flowers or the gifts. And there is a certain transactional nature to their marriage, undoubtedly. Of course. Yeah, undoubtedly. undoubtedly. So it is does cut both ways. But this is also about security for Carmela. She's concerned. This is a source of perpetual anxiety in the post 9-11 world, the economic instability that occurred that year. And the first time America as a country felt vulnerable in our lifetimes. So she's feeling vulnerable. Tony is supposed to be the provider and the protector for her, which is the role he's put himself in, the strong, silent type. And he's not taking her pleas seriously. And this is a problem. And it's a bigger problem, I think, than Tony realizes. Yeah, I guess they're both right. And Carmela's realizing in a very conscious way that she needs more. Right? Yep. And that's so there's that there's that feeling, that need, that desire. And that's where Furio uh, comes in so mm-hmm. i love that they do the taliban phone trick silvio's explaining it. it's what the taliban used to do <laughs> they got this burner cell phone on a speaker they got junior calling in now this is a top level management sit down here to address this john and ralph situation john got what he wanted it's become a big enough issue now that they have to fucking have a sit down and and settle this once and for all Junior's on there. How you doing, Junior? I'm going to the poorhouse. That's how I'm doing. That Rico trial. (laughs) (laughs) Would that set you back? A lot, Carmine says. More weight, more financial burdens. Yep. Johnny 
they they go back and forth for a minute or so about this joke allegedly whatever it's been said let's just stick to the subject the horrible remark was made about Ginny and the fucking subject and they ask who told him Johnny says I'm not at liberty to say and that sets off Tony all due respect this is bullshit Somebody in my family's talking out of school and you're not at liberty to say I should be making the beef here. I like that junior backs up Tony on that one. My nephew's right. Yep. Cool. Let's see them kind of in sync on this. And the bottom line is Carmine shuts it down. This has happened. What's going on? Tony offers what I think to be a very reasonable. He does solution here. Tell you what you tell me who, who did that? Who said this? I bring him in. He corroborates what you're saying. I'll give you Ralph on a platter. That's a reasonable solution. But Johnny knows that that is bad for him to reveal that he's been soaking Paulie for information for a long time. And that would almost, that betrayal would almost certainly mean the end of Paulie, right? I mean, there's no way you get out from something like that if it's confirmed. It'd be the end of Paulie. It might be the end of Johnny Sack. It, it would be bad. Yeah. So Johnny says, there's nothing sacred anyway. It goes back to the honor. He, he's been slapped in the face. He wants a duel in the public square. He, he, he cannot let it go. And <laughs> what happened to this thing? For God's sake, we, we bend more rules in the Catholic church. <laughs> <laughs> and Carmine. What again, a line. Yeah, yeah. And I love, uh, again, this is a great Carmine coming out episode. I love the way Carmine says, uh, he mentions the Esplanade. There's millions of dollars at stake, John. Again with the money? Yeah, again with the money. So either it's settled, John. So either name a price or get the fuck over it. There it is. That's the ruling from the from the boss. Johnny snuffs out a cigarette, gets up without a word, and leaves. So this is not going away. Someone has something has to give here, which we'll get back to in a moment. Any thoughts on this whole se- sequence, the sit down scene with Junior and the speakerphones? I'm a. Uh... I'm both pleased by the behavior from both family bosses who I think both say things that are, you know, good, reasonable. Like there's a lot of reasonable talk happening. It's just Johnny can't hear it, which is good writing. Also very funny scene because you have junior removed from the scene, communicating through a speaker. He doesn't understand how to use at that (laughs) moment. Bobby has abandoned him with a device, a foreign device that he has no knowledge of how to use. He's eaten fucking prunes on the other end of the phone. So like this still, still with all this tension, the undercurrent is very funny. Yeah. Who's on the wire now? (laughs) It's very funny. Yeah. This scene probably it might best epitomize what Jordan said at the top, that there's a light touch, but it's dangerous. We know how dangerous this is getting. This is this is now the second scene, uh, the second serious meeting that Johnny has uh, stormed out of. Um, so we know this is not good. We know that so the tension is ratcheting up, and uh, the, and it'll bring us right to the next scene, which gets it even hotter, right? Yeah. This next scene, this is when I wrote Carmine is an old school mob boss man, because he nails this. I love this phone call that he makes to Tony. I love how the way, yeah, the way he orders this hit is masterful. Masterful. There's millions of dollars. It's the Esplanade. I can't have that. You know, he just, he, he, he uses these innuendos and, and clever phrases so that he won't be pinched on a wire saying anything. He doesn't say anything here, but Tony knows what he's saying. And I love when Tony says, well, if someone needs to do something about it, I appreciate your thoughts. 
Are you saying what I think you're saying? I didn't say nothing. Anyway, yep. talk to you soon. <laughs> That's it. The hit's been ordered. It's that simple. It happens that yeah, quickly. It's it's dynamite. That's a great phone call. And this Esplanade is a big enough project for them. It also expresses the importance of this again. It's a big enough project that Carmine is ready to throw Johnny under the bus like that to preserve the integrity of the Esplanade. John wasn't being reasonable and he's got to go. And Tony just has a moment in bed like, oh my God, this is huge. Next scene, again, Ralph with the red sweater. He's always standing out with his outfits. And yeah. known John for so long, now he's got to go. And they just, he gives this glare over at Ralphie, like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and, and Ralph, I was just fucking around. Jesus, he's, he's still being flippant about this. And Tony's just had enough. Who does he think he is, Sir Walter Raleigh? <laughs> That's enough for you. And your Tony gets up, gets in his face, and your stupid fucking remarks. Go back down to Miami, do whatever the fuck it is you do down there while we clean up your fucking mess. He's had it. Ralph just has to get, go to Miami, get out of Dodge now because the underboss of one of the five families is about to be murdered over this. So unbelievable. Uh, so there's a couple things with this scene. I mean, that Sir Walter Raleigh line, I know, I think for both Chris and I, that's like a killer line. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, and, but again, the hypocrisy is palpable like you guys never made a joke about jenny sack no no not like that no of course they did <laughs> so um so you know and, and then the scene before carmine masterfully asking for this hit without saying anything the reason i chose this as the pull quote is both because as chris mentioned in the last episode just what a great gangster carmine is he doesn't even need to talk and also about what it what was said and the plausible deniability in terms of what is said, uh, Ralphie, not the gayest, uh, is going to apologize for something he says he didn't say. And also the other thematic question is that Carmine in asking for this murder does it in such a smart way that it relieves himself of the burden of doing it. It relieves himself of the burden and the weight of uh, culpability. And that's something that's else that's big in this episode. How do we relieve these burdens that we have? And sometimes other people take on burdens voluntarily, which they should maybe get rid of. Like Jennifer doesn't need to keep blaming herself for something that wasn't her fault. Yes. You know, so all this is masterfully done. And uh, again, maybe it brings it back to what Jordan said at the top, just a masterclass in writing. Speaking of great writing, my favorite line in the episode is in the next scene. I'll mention it when we get to it, but Junior and Tony are hanging out in his couch. It's nice to see Junior getting his mind off the trial and back in the mix of things a little bit here. He's been so far removed from upper management for a while, but he and Tony are at this place right now where Junior's not distracted with cancer and he can have these conversations with Junior about this stuff. It's nice to see Junior interacting. I love that he doesn't get the joke. A mole on her ass. <laughs> Real lack of standards you generation. In my day, John was right. He'd never have to stand for a remark like that. But in Junior's heyday, they didn't have the money troubles and the Fed troubles and all the shit that they're dealing with now. I uh, love when Tony talks about him, the way Junior describes him. He's slippery, that one. Those big fish lips of his, talking about Carmine, of course. 
And then my favorite line in the episode, they're watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Look at this. Fifth question, the poor <laughs> prick used all his lifelines. <laughs> this is not the first time they've had this is not the first time they've had Junior interacting with the television or something he's watching in a funny way. So I always love when they do this. Hilarious. And I remember that episode, by the way, too. That poor guy, he was he couldn't even get past the preliminaries. Real tough. <laughs> Tony says they're gonna have to bring in Carmine's son, Brainless the second. That's how they refer to him. We have not <laughs> we, we've, we've not met Carmine's son, but that's an interesting description of a character that they're referencing. And Junior gives him the idea of once Tony mentions that Johnny goes to Boston to visit his father, brings up this guy Lou DiMaggio. This guy, basically, they're these old three old hitmen in Rhode Island, those sick old fucks from Rhode Island. Tony refers to them as, and Junior tells this story about these guys who were sold out they were hitmen but they were sold out by their drug dealing boss and after doing a bunch of years in the can he got the nickname Lou DiMaggio because he smashed this guy Lenny and his wife's head in with a baseball bat so these three old hitmen from Rhode Island and they're gonna hire them out and the next scene Chris and Syl get sent up there any thoughts on this scene with Tony and Junior before we move on I like the way that um, Junior relays the story about DiMaggio and it almost reads like a ghost story, which is very appropriate setup for the next scene, which uh, <laughs> I'll let you, of course, describe it, but it might be the creepiest scene in The Sopranos. Agreed. What the, what the fuck? <laughs> this is such a hilariously eerie scene for no reason. It's great. It is It is for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Sorry, describe the scene, please, and then I'll comment. Chris and Syl show up. Hilarious line to start the scene, by the way. Chris in his sunglasses. We should just do this ourselves, ninja style. Yeah, sounds good, Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, great idea. Surely this is the mastermind who leaked the joke to Johnny Sack. A little, yeah. Char- yeah, exactly. A little character building, by the way. Chris, I no doubt Chris was probably just watching some ninja movie and it's like, oh, I could, I could do that. We could do that. Chris in the movies. They get let in by this 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 obviously blind woman opens the door. Father? Oh god. <laughs> we yeah, and suddenly we've crossed into a new show. I don't know what show this is. I don't know where we are. It's not the Sopranos. They get led into this house and she's counting her steps going in. We get led to these guys who are literally on life support. They they have oxygen tanks, tubes in their noses, blind. Sure. They're well, they're they're ghouls basically yeah these are like um something out of i don't know a rob zombie film or something i don't even know <laughs> and they're just so off put they can almost smell the drugs on christopher like you know, you do you involved with you do drugs what no what are you talking about chris takes the glasses off <laughs> uh very much involved with drugs they don't work for drug dealers there's this weird younger guy there who has this kind of spastic couple exchanges with Chris that are very off-putting his energy. The whole energy in the scene is just so bizarre off. They really, I don't know. I, they, they, (laughs) I don't know why they went to such effort for this, but it it worked. It it, it was a thoroughly off-putting environment. The gist of it is they hand him the money. They hand him the picture of Johnny sack, tell him where he's going to be. They describe the situation where they essentially hacked off a guy's head quiet as a mouse pissing on cotton i love the way the guy delivers that line if you like we can arrange for that same thing to happen again <laughs> and so i don't think we need it to be that overstated <laughs> <laughs> great delivery 
Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Providence, but it can no, be like no. this. It's, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, creepy as fuck. Yeah, it can be like a little, I don't want to speak ill of like Providence or Rhode Island. I actually, my brother lives in, in Pawtucket. I love it there, but it can be like a little grungy, a little weird. Maybe just like, I've, I've often gotten this sense something's just like maybe a little off kilter. Um, it is, uh, it's a place that's, has often suffered economically and also back in its day was a gangster paradise. The mob ran that city. So surely there was a time, I mean, we know that these guys are past their prime, but as Jordan said, now they're like, now they're essentially ghouls Mm. haunting the, the space. So, and just all these weird lines. Why? Why is this seen this way? Why? <laughs> and then also, and I, I, I actually groaned when I watched it, like gro- groaning dread, like I was dreading the exchange because the episode did not go this way. But the picture that they hand them for the hit on Johnny Sack is a picture of two men. Yeah, it's Johnny Sack and Tony. And as kind of an afterthought, they say, oh, well, that's him on the left. Yeah. You know? As they hand the picture to, like, not even the guy who's going to be doing the hit. Half the people are blind in this room. There's almost <laughs> no light. Johnny Sack and Tony, you know, they don't look similar, but I think something could be easily mistaken here. I was like, are these guys going to kill Tony? Is that is that what's being set up here? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't know why it was... They put so much effort to make this as weird as it is. It definitely added an interesting... It, it was is. interesting to watch and look at, but it's like, what the fuck? Guys, the- it's it's beyond. I almost can't believe that this doesn't come to anything else. Like, I'm looking <laughs> for the payoff in another episode, but I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck? <laughs> and even just these oddball lines like, Rose, more Sanka. Uh, <laughs> we're having cake later. Carvel. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's, like- <laughs> it's, my bir- it's my birthday, too. Um, yeah, the, the other thing is, uh, the only other thing that... <laughs> Yeah, one thing I thought of was that this weird tweaker guy could be a weird kind of mirror for Chris. My name's Chris, too. It's my birthday, too. And I think he's like, I was thinking he's lying about it the whole time. But then the woman says, we're having cake late. I was like, what is the fuck is going on here? Um, also, the the space in this house with its lack of uh, clearly they don't have a lot of money. Yeah. They do have a lot of religious fervor. Very different from the houses in Jersey where the figures are still married. They're more vital. Mm. They they have money. They don't have religious uh, icons and that sort of thing. Also, as much as Junior and them talked up Lou DiMaggio, how pathetic is this? What's the, They're going to hit like a New York boss. They're getting 20 grand. Mm. They're getting yeah. 10 up front. That's yeah. not impressive but yeah. they need every cent it's it's or they would they're only getting half it definitely adds some color to the world if this was if what i'm about to say is its only purpose it maybe went on 20 seconds too long but the, my only thought is you just want to make every scene in your episode interesting and yeah they could have met some weirdo in a clandestine car just handed him the money and quickly cut to the next thing but my thought is it's like when you hit when you kill somebody in a show, yeah, you could just put a bullet in their head and move on, but you want to do it in a stylistic or interesting way. This is ultimately them just setting up a hit for Johnny. 
And also, I think it adds to the tension in, in the way that because this is so screwy, you're wondering, it's another element in this mix that could go wrong somehow, right? So right. it's all mm-hmm. this chaotic things building to once, multiple hits being put out, and these guys are past their prime, let's say. And so it's just like, how is this all going to go wrong? It's setting the stage for a big clusterfuck shortly there coming. So, but, but it does set tension. It does create an interesting bit of, I don't know, color in the universe of the Sopranos. This is an element. I don't know if I'm thankful or intrigued, but we don't see any more of it. So <laughs> very bizarre, but it is so funny. Bizarre. This is one of the more unique scenes in the whole show. And then a priest arrives for what purpose? Uh, well, father's I, here. Yeah, what what is going on? <laughs> I kind of, I, I don't know. I would watch like a weird half hour exploration of Lou DiMaggio and the family up here, but that's, let's not give them any ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving along. Johnny on the phone with Joey Peeps. Everything is coming to a head now. The episode is definitely after the scene in Providence. It's picking up the pace in a big way quickly. Johnny has Joey Peeps put out a hit on Ralph. I'd feel better if we had the Pope's blessing. Johnny gives him the old, you know, hey, we got this. I'll take care of it. And Carmela looking up the zoning law about pre-existing structures and then shows up at Furio's house with AJ, very strategic move there. Make sure he stays within eyesight, also very strategic. Carmela is dancing the line here, right? Wants to keep AJ as a measure to make sure she doesn't cross it, which is interesting. But AJ, of course, bored as fuck. Who wouldn't be at that age, especially talking about zoning variances and hanging out in Furio's backyard. Furio, cool to us has nothing to offer a 15, 16-year-old boy uh, as far as any interest for AJ there. Right. And there is this, it's almost out of a romance novel, this exchange that Furio's talking about his old days in Italy gardening and growing olives, and he's going to make his own wine. And Carmela is just like, ah, what a man. (laughs) But she's definitely interested. And uh, this is, another escalation in this Furio Carmela thing. Sure. And something genuine to that, right? He, he has maybe plans for a life beyond all of this. Right. And, Mm. and ultimately I I think Paul is correct. She wants to be loved. Um, But I think, you know, we also have this other bit of like, maybe she also wants out, you know, I mean, this is, it's like Furio is everything in one, you know, he he represents, yes, a a physical beauty. Uh, He's, authentically Italian. We know that Carmela appreciates, you know, the authentic Italy, right? Um, he's authentically interested in Carmela. Uh, he's cultured. Uh, and also, yeah, he has this, shall we say, sort of rich interior life, which many of these men don't have. And completely opposite of Tony, Tony will be in this thing until he dies one way or another, right? No Furio question. imagines like, oh, hmm, maybe I could become agricultural again and, and live those days again. Those were my happiest days, not, you know, hanging out in the back of a strip club all day. Mm. Yeah, that's well, that's well said. The, the something else, the something else other than this life, um, Furio talks about, I mean, he's t- the, she's connected to his sharing and his sadness uh, that he's, that he's lost some of this connection with nature uh, I guess for the more industrial world in New Jersey, 
uh, he's talking about, I think, an old working in an, uh, an olive grove in a garden for a rich man. Kind of a far cry from Junior going to the poorhouse and eating olives out of a plastic bin <laughs> at his uh, kitchen oh, were table. Those olives, I thought they were uh, Never mind. Um, so you know, I think all all this is deliberate. Um, yeah, she's taken with it. It it is. Uh, yeah, it is kind of a romance novel kind of moment. Um, yeah, and I love that she brings AJ to keep herself out of trouble. Yeah, I love that line. We were just passing by, and and AJ's like, "No, we weren't." <laughs> <laughs> AJ has no tolerance for this. It's very funny. Johnny's coat has been cleaned. He's got Donny K's blood off of it, and. Who knows? Maybe a couple pee drops got on the lower parts of it, but at least it's clean now. And he's <laughs> <laughs> he's going up to visit his dad. And we're cutting back and forth. Johnny, anything could happen, right? At this point, you're watching. I've watched this with people who've been watching it for the first time. And this is like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Ralph right. is in Miami. Got eyes on him. You got this hitman guy looks very serious looks very deadly we know very little about this guy who's about to kill ralph but he certainly looks like he's serious uh, johnny has to turn around go back for something jenny why is the door unlocked uh-oh goes in and we get the scene in the basement here this is a rough scene i'm a heavier yeah. guy and i have struggled with weight and I know people who have also had struggles with this issue. And so this is a tough scene to, to watch in some respects uh, on that level. And Ginny's on the floor. She's been hoarding snacks and candy and Johnny's out of the house. He's very upset, not 10 minutes. And she gets defensive. You're the one who's going to quit smoking and didn't. Nicotine's an addictive substance. And he gets down on <laughs> his knees and... They just have this tearful exchange. Johnny's trying to make her feel better. She wants her to be proud of him. She's the way men look at the other wives. And it's tough. I felt I felt really badly for both of them here. Yeah. Any thoughts on this kind of sweet, lovely, but also very upsetting scene in the basement here where this all comes to a head in, in the sacrimony house? Right. Uh, well, in some ways, this is kind of the big scene of the episode. Mm. Um, I, I guess it's it's more about interweaving the two almost hits um, between uh, Johnny and Ralph. But uh, this scene in particular, the scene in the basement, um, it's a really tough scene to watch in that it's it's upsetting because it, it really does finally get to the heart of the matter where all this hurt is coming from. Um, is that, yeah, it's sure it's about Johnny's honor, but it's also just about the love he has for this person and trying to get her to see the value in herself when he exists in a society and in a subsect of the society that would devalue a woman who looks like Ginny. Mm. Um, and this speaks to a larger issue that the episode is probing, right? Uh, she, she says it, you know, look at, look at the other wives. I see the way men look at the other wives, you know, and, and we, the viewer, have seen these women that they are with. Carmela, Adriana, um, you know, Sylvia's wife, the girls that Polly hangs around with, they're all of a type, right? These are mm -hmm. all very, very conventionally attractive women. They're all fit women, even into their later years. Um, there is a physical standard of beauty, but it exists for women, right? The physical standard of beauty doesn't really seem to apply for the men, though curiously, Furio is included in this episode in a prominent way. He is the only man on the show that really, in a classic way, um adheres to a physical standard of beauty i, I mean look I, 
I I think James Gandolfini is an attractive guy. I think yeah. um, I think Michael Imperioli is an attractive guy. But we have some unusual looking characters on this show that I don't think every woman would look at and be like, oh, wow. Uh, right. You know. Yeah. Do, but there, 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 there are guys who are types. James yes. Gandolfini is a type. Yes. And then whatever. But Furio, and I think what you're getting at there, he's very classically handsome. He's yes. tall. Yes. Women like tall. A lot of women like tall men. He's I also all. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's also the only character in Tony's crew that you would look at and say, that guy's in the gym four days a week, at least. Right. Mm -hmm. He's built. Uh, yeah. Right. So what I mean to say is, um, this is not very elegantly said. In Tony's crew of men, there is one man who adheres to the classic standard of beauty. In Carmela's crew of mob wives, there's only one woman who doesn't mm. adhere to the standard of beauty. Do you know what I mean? That's that's the the diametrics here, right? Um, of just what does it mean to be married to the one woman who doesn't look like all the other wives? And that is the weight that's on Johnny, but it's also the weight. The weight is the love that he carries for this person and he's trying to in this very difficult scene to watch trying to get her to see value in herself but he only has limited tools to try to tell her that because it's one thing coming from him who she knows loves her but that's not what the world is telling her yeah you know and it's um it's hard to watch that's extremely well said jordan i'm getting uh, sad just talking about it but i feel yeah. i feel i feel for her and i you feel for the both of them what is it about this that allows johnny to let go of his anger at ralph for the moment what what, what do we think is the catharsis here for them because he does he i think immediately, it... immediately calls off the hit and then later on in the next scene we see johnny he tells tony that he's accepted ralph's apology I think it opens his eyes to what he was blind to before, which is that it's 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 not that it so much lets Ralphie off the hook. Ralphie, even as the hit is called off, is still a fucking prick, and his big mouth is his own biggest problem, even <laughs> as he's getting out of the elevator. I think it's just it's it reflects what Jordan just eloquently stated, which is Johnny coming to grapple with the larger part of the problem. It's not to say that Ginny is the problem, but that Ginny is dealing with a big problem. She's dealing with the world, our culture, the the standards of beauty specifically as they're applied to women and how it how it does reflect on him. I think it's bigger than Ralphie. Well said. And John is a guy who in his best situation his best emotional state can see the big picture when he right. needs to. I, I agree with paul i think he realizes in this moment not that he would ever accept ralph's apology but he's ultimately not mad at ralph that that's that's what the realization is right is that the anger uh he, he has a mature moment where he realized he his anger was displaced like it, it's it's founded but it, it's is this is this too pretentious to say it's sort of society and the unfairness of the mm. world that he's mad at? Right. You know, it, I think that's more part of that, you know? Yeah, I agree. He realizes he can't take Ralph to task for the, how fucking shitty the world is, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're correct. I agree. I agree. And in that. typical, a typical Sopranos irony is that forgetting this sweater or whatever ends up bringing about this scene, which makes him which brings about this realization and he calls off the hit on Ralphie, which saves his own life. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So he calls us off just in the nick of time. Ralph has this exchange. I love when the two, the hitman is like, 
oh, looking at him as the door is opening. I want half. Okay, fine. Joey peeps on the phone. Puts the phone down. Ralph and the hitman just stare at each other until Ralph gets out. What's your fucking problem? <laughs> and the door shuts on him. Ralph has no idea how close he came. Furio's housewarming party, which is going to culminate this th- story thread in the episode. I love AJ's line. I'm so bored. I feel like crying. <laughs> <laughs> AJ's really killing it for me this season. The way he's so, so far, he's just been dryly delivering these excellent lines, going to his new school, keeping his head down and cracking these hilarious moments. He's really, we talked at length in one of our season three episodes about how, uh, about how underappreciated Robert Eiler is in this role. And I'm going yes, to he's very good. iterate that again. He is killing it here. He's so funny. <laughs> Bobby is at the party, but he's talking about leaving. He's then he's being urged to eat something. Bobby's still in mourning. He's still grieving. Uh, the loss of Karen, which just happened in the previous episode. So obviously he's still not himself. AJ, bored, uh, is not a good thing. Locks Bobby Jr. in the garage outside. <laughs> yep. Anyone who's had older cousins and yep. people like this has been, yep. Yep. some kind of similar bullshit happened. Tells them there's toys in the back. What boys do. Yep. <laughs> it's very mean. I definitely laughed at it, but it's also terrible. I wonder how long Bobby Jr. was in that garage. Sure. No, I mean, it's uh, it's very in character for AJ. I mean, this is part. He's still that kid, you know? Yep, absolutely. Then this dance here. Tony's smoking a cigar with the guys. Has no interest in stepping out in the dance floor. Furio ends up with Carmella. And we get a good length of time. Their body language, their smiles, their hands. It's all. This is not good. Yeah, this is this is transitioning from a flirtatious crush to a physical desire in this moment. And that Mm. is extremely dangerous territory. Yeah. Uh, The song that they play here is um, called Vesuvio. It's not only an Italian song, but it's from the Naples region where Furio is from. Good Mm. due diligence there on the part of David Chase as usual. And uh, as is Vesuvio, Vesuvio is quite nearby Naples. And it's a bit, you know, it's got a beat to it. It's got a kinetic energy. It's sexy, of course. It, it's, a, it's a dangerous song. It's about how v- Vesuvio is powerful, dangerous, explosive, like this attraction, of course. The song also makes reference to how Vesuvio seems to keep the people of Naples trapped. They can't go anywhere. Um, they want to run away from it, but they're stuck in Naples, in its, uh, in a ca- essentially caged under the shadow of the mountain, which I think also reflects the weight of it. Reflects the weight both of Carmela's feelings for Fiorio and the weight of this marriage that, in some way, she feels trapped in mm. and unloved in. So all this is coming together, very sexy. And I mean, the way it's used in the last scene, who, Daddy? Stand back. Yeah. So we're gonna close the loop on this Elliot scene, this Elliot yeah. and Melfi thing, and connect all the dots here. What what this little subplot has been building to, which I think is despite the fact that it there's two things I want to mention about Melfi right now. One, this plot doesn't connect to anything else in the episode inherently, and 
as far as plot details go thematically sure but plot details go it's not a direct connection and also therapy in the first part of this season four the therapy has been diminished in importance as far as they're still attending therapy melfi mentions what a hypocrite i felt like giving tony advice on his daughter but overall Melfi and Tony seem to have been put on a back burner for now, deliberately by the writers. We're not seeing these therapy scenes. So I love that they took a moment to address the fact a year out that this rape is still a source of trauma and weight on Melfi, something that's been weighing on her and her guilt about it. This guilt, of course, is a terrible thing that happens to rape victims where they feel as if actions they've taken, if only I hadn't gone on that street corner or went down that alley or went into the parking garage or wore that thing or made this remark anything you you second guess the events that led to that terrible trauma and it is a real thing that happens and even someone like melfi who's a therapist in her own right can fall into that it's it's natural was i was was richard right what was what maybe i shouldn't have been in that parking garage and then elliot relays this story about this of course, there's a funny laugh line here. I like he calls him this big Bluto looking guy. Most likely he was another parent or maybe just a repair man. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot. <laughs> uh, but he tells her to let go of this guilt. Parking garages are not inherently dangerous places. If this guy had pulled me out and beat the shit out of me, would I be saying I shouldn't have been trying to park my car? And it's what Melfi needs to hear. And I'm happy to see that the show has not just forgotten that she was raped. It's, it's, a, it's an important thing right. that is continuing to weigh on her. Yeah. So I, I would contend that this scene um, is probably more connected than it seems. It's not, it's not directly, directly uh, connected to the A or the B plots in the episode. That's true. But um, um, I have to be careful with how I say this. Um yeah. So uh, I'm thinking back to our episode on Employee of the Month, which was one of our most difficult recordings last year. And, and indeed, it's probably the most difficult episode of The Sopranos to watch or rewatch. And, you know, it, it's an episode that centers on a rape. And there is this issue of violation, right? When you're, mm. when you're raped, you're being violated. And not just your body, but it's your, it's your whole sense of self. It's your, it's your honor, essentially, right? Mm. And it's, it's over a, a woman's body, right? Uh, and then in this episode, in in um, in the wait, uh, of course, I'm not saying that Ginny Sack has been raped or anything like that, but it it is her honor that is at stake, and it is her body, right? So there is still a parallel here, and it makes Johnny Sack seem less ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that's a bit of a reach, but what I'm trying to say is. I think these Melfi scenes are deliberately included in this episode because Chase or the writers here are kind of trying to say like, well, can we look at how we look at a woman's body for a second and talk about honor there and what Johnny Sack was trying to defend? And yes, his wife's weight is his berserk button, but it's not so much just like, oh, how funny this guy knows he has a fat wife and he's ashamed of it. That's not really what it is at all, Mm. right? He's kind of trying to do what um jeremy and uh jason uh not jeremy sorry not jeremy uh melfi's son what's his name jason jason he's kind of trying to do what what jason uh can't or what uh melfi's husband can't is to to step in and defend his wife's honor before it's taken from her i don't know these things are are linked to me yeah 
Well, and great they pickup. They they specifically, I think that's incredibly insightful, Jordan. And to your to your point, they talk about Jason's guilt specifically, her son right. and her and and her ex husband's guilt about not being able to do anything. And this is her. what Johnny's trying to do. He's trying to protect Jenny. He just it. He, I said this before. He doesn't have the tools to do that. He he can't do it. He can't. <clears throat> He can't figure it out in his own system how to defend her. Mm. Yeah, very well said. I like that, Jordan. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's. I get why that's a difficult thing to articulate appropriately. Right. And, I, and I don't it's, mean it's a trivial. It's a, right. right. It's a minefield of a subject matter. Yeah. Yes, I don't mean to trivialize it at all. I just mean to say I think I get the parallel that they're trying to do here, um, yeah. successfully. I would say. I just yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. John comes in and apologizes, flat out. Well, t- he first he ex- tells Tony, you can tell Ralph Cifaretto I've accepted his apology. And Donnie Kay's got nerve damage, and Johnny apologizes for that too. Flat out, he's very somber here, very direct, and just leaves no more weight remarks, Tony. They're hurtful and they're destructive. This is a this is a interesting and progressive turn for the character for, for a mob for a mob character to to come to terms with the fact that he has misdirected his anger apologize and set new set new terms for the future just going forward no more of this and it puts tony in a rough spot because the wheels are in motion they've contacted the uh the providence whatever you want to call that up there <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> you can you can see the exasperation on Tony's face in that moment right before they cut. He's just like, and they are able to call it off right in the nick of time. Johnny saves his own life here. Finally, we leave off with this scene in the soprano bedroom. Tony's going to talk to Ginsburg, his accountant. Real, real, real pillow talk here, talking about your finances and talking to your yeah. accountant. Brings her flowers. Does what he does. Brings flowers. Brings this very. I don't know what is this called. This thing that he's bought her, whatever. It's it's a sexy thing that he oh, wants. Uh, the it's the little black dress, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well there it is. She's not. They're not sure it'll fit again. Women's body. A is small. Small. Yeah. small. Yeah, exactly. How? I'm not sure I'll fit into this. We'll try it on again. Women's body image and Carmela exhibiting the quality that Ginny is chasing here, and. Tony is very sensual here. This is about as sensual as the show gets uh, on some level. And he's kissing her. He's pushing all the right buttons. He's showing interest. He's trying to show he cares in whatever way he knows how. But he likes how she looks in this thing. And they go to the bed. And we hear the music. And what's cool about the way they do this is you hear the music at first and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be credit music. They're going out on this or it's playing in the background, but it's actual practical sound happening. Meadows playing the, the, the Italian music in one room over. They, yeah, they get frustrated. Carmela has to stop everything. Oh, I can't. The music, Tony yells, turn it off. Carmela has to go out, knock on the door. She turns off the music, leaves. They get back to it, but that music is not going off. It's playing in the background as we go out and get this shot of Carmela's eyes as they engage in sex. And she's elsewhere. Safe to say she's not in this bedroom at this moment with Tony. 
and it's an ominous and unsettling ending. And we're out. We're out of the wait. This is a burden that's going to linger on the Soprano marriage for the foreseeable future, and it's not going to be one that's easy to relieve if it ever gets relieved. Final thoughts on this last sequence, and then final thoughts on the wait as an episode before we pull a bow on this and wrap it up. Yeah, on the sequence itself, I would say it's a really artful finish. Um, Even when Carmela is getting the attention she wants from Tony, it doesn't seem to be quite enough for her anymore. And I think incorporating that music is a a nice way to remind us what she's really thinking about. Um, And I don't think it needs to be more complicated than that. Um, In terms of the episode itself with this cap on it, um, you know, Tony offering Carmela the gift of the little black dress, which um, in women's fashion culture, even unto today, this has not changed in 20 some odd years, is still like the slinky thing that a woman goes out to wear when she wants to look hot, right? Mm. Um, it is specifically, it's the kind of clothing that would only work on a on a, uh, a thin woman, right? Um, and, and as we've already talked about, all the women on this show are thin and attractive. It's just one woman. It's just Ginny Sack that doesn't conform to this. And we take that with us into the last scene as well. So I think that that inclusion is, is nice. This episode left me with a lot more to think about for an episode that is, um, yes, tense, but very light, as we talked about. It is just about thinking or, or forcing me to think about the way in which we think about women's bodies. Uh, I... <laughs> I don't know. Does that sound um, uh, trivial the way I put it? I don't know. No, I, I mean to say, I, I, it was not something I really thought about a lot on this show. I've, of course, thought about the treatment of women and how could you not uh, with, you know, all this stuff going on in the show. But but specifically body image, um, you know, the, the show made a point this episode. Paul's brought this up several times where Tony's just like basically shoving his face this whole episode. Right. Uh, and yeah. Ginny is struggling to just like how much diet cool whip can i put on a fruit salad you know and it's just it is the sad bleak absurdity of life that we live where people feel like they have to shrink to fit uh, someone else's idea about beauty and johnny of all characters right trying to defend against it uh that that line he has to tony in the end no more comments about wait tony they're you know they're destructive he's he's so right (laughs) i mean yeah it's it's so true. I could imagine some people watching that scene and even getting like a little giggle out of that or like, yeah, right. We're going to make fun of her even harder now. And maybe they will. Um, but he's come to an important realization that more people need to have. Well said. Yes, I, I, I love this last scene. It, it, it is. It feels. I don't know, man. I mean, it, the end. I get of, a tense. The ends of these episodes in this season have been very they don't leave you feeling good. Yeah, this is definitely making me feel pretty tense. Um, and the dynamics are all powerful, as Jordan just laid out. Uh, but these characters are also full of shit, as ever. Carmela's romanticizing another antisocial sociopath. Uh, Johnny Sack is sentimental about his marriage, and he's, he's a killer. Uh, and this all comes across in... The typical Sopranos richness. Uh, shame on me for ever saying that this season was dull. It's terrific. Mm. Very well said, guys. Thank you so much. This has been The Wait. A great episode. Season four is off and kicking. It doesn't feel like we're already a th- about a third of the way through this. Holy shit. Season four on a roll. We're in it and we're going to keep going. 
Pyomai is coming up next. It's a good good mid-season episode. We're going to break it down. More Bobby, more Adriana. A lot of good stuff happening. And I can't wait to cover it. Season four, baby. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we'll see you next time with Pyomai.